the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. You might call it one of the greatest travesties in all of history, the trial of Jesus Christ. We'll take a look at this mock trial next on today's broadcast of Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner. Join us. From Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose, this is Abounding Grace. Hi there, and welcome to our program. Today, we turn our attention to the book of Luke, chapter 22, verses 54 through 71. Throughout the rest of this week, we'll spend our time focusing in on the trial of Jesus Christ. And it is indeed a mock trial. It mocks everything that is right and true. But there is a greater purpose in mind. Let's talk about that today. Here's Pastor Gary Wagner with this edition of Abounding Grace. We are now moving into another phase of the suffering of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was betrayed by Judas. He has been arrested, and now he's going through a series of trials. It is probably way after midnight, just hours after or from his crucifixion. And now there were several trials that he had to face. And it's difficult from reading the books of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John's accounts to understand the specific chronology of these trials. Because each of these authors put the various incidents where they wanted to put them to make their particular point. For instance, Luke talks about Peter's denial as if it is taking place during the church trials while the others seem to mark it as between the church trials and the state trials. Now I ask you, does that mean there's a contradiction in the Bible? No. Remember, we have learned that Luke is not that concerned with historical chronology. He's more concerned with thematic chronology. So he puts events together that have a common theme. And he puts Peter's denial of Christ up there with the betrayal of Christ and the abandonment of all the apostles to emphasize the depth of the agony that the Lord Jesus Christ experienced in his isolation from God the Father, his family, and his disciples. Now let me give you in broad strokes the series of trials that Jesus went through. And when you see the broad strokes... It'll be important that you see the structure to these. There were two series of trials that Jesus went through. First was an ecclesiastical court, that is a church court. And there were three stages in this church court. The first was with Annas as a former high priest whose five sons were also high priest and whose son-in-law and nephew were high priests. So, He was really quite a powerful man. Then the next phase was before Caiaphas and the Sanhedrin, which was the governing body of the Jews. 
And then the first, third phase was with the Sanhedrin once again. So there were three phases to the ecclesiastical trials in church courts. Then there was a series of civil trials before politicians. The first trial was before Pontius Pilate. The second trial was before Herod, where Pilate tried to pass the buck off to Herod. And then Herod, whom Jesus called the fox, passed the buck back to Pilate. So you had Pilate, Herod, Pilate. Three different trials in civil courts proceeded by, preceded by three trials before church courts. Now please keep that in mind. Then also make sure you understand what's happening here. Here you see the judge being judged. That's the focus. The judge of the universe is being judged by sinful man. Two corrupt priests and two very evil politicians. And what was the verdict? The verdict was that the lawgiver of the universe is a lawless outlaw. And they treated him like a lawless outlaw who deserved to be killed. Can you imagine the humiliation for the lawgiver of the universe incarnate to be found guilty by his own creatures and declared a lawless outlaw? But, beloved, there's nothing unique about what they did that day. Because still to this day, when we reject the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ, we are always calling Christ lawless. You cannot ever take a neutral stand. When we reject the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ, we will always call or consider Christ lawless. Now, let me give you a couple of quick examples. Try mentioning the name Jesus in the United States political arena, seriously. Now, you can talk about God ambiguously or vaguely all you want and not tell anyone which God you're talking about. But try having a press conference and saying that Jesus Christ is King of all kings and see where you get, because Christ is considered a lawless outlaw. You embarrass people by naming Jesus Christ. Where there is the rejection of the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ, there is always an embarrassment. He is always viewed as someone who is on the outside. Don't you dare bring him in here. And this is what is happening to him in these trials. Now let's go to Mark 14. Luke is extremely concise in his take on all of this. But each one of these Gospels includes something about the trials of Jesus that the others exclude. And we're going to largely draw from Mark today, but we're going to also be referring to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and, or Matthew and Luke and John. The first thing to be impressed with is in Mark 14:53, and the mockery of Christ's trial. This is obviously a rust job. It's a setup. They arrest him by night. They disregard all the rules of fair play. A conclusive decision was already made before any of the courts met. Jesus must die. They wanted to get it done as quickly as possible because the people loved him. 
but not because they were Christians. They loved to hear his stories, and they loved to see his miracles. But they did this at night because it would be more difficult as these people began to awake. So you see a mockery of justice in all of this. And who's in control of this derision? It is Caiaphas, the high priest. And Caiaphas was an interesting man. He was the last high priest appointed by God. And now here he stands as Jesus' accuser and his judge. Turn to John 18 with me. I want you to notice something that Caiaphas said. Luke 18, verses 12 through 14. So the Roman battalion and commander and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him and led him to Annas first, for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was high priest that year. Now Caiaphas was the one who advised the Jews that it was expedient for one man to die on behalf of the people. What? Iron. John asked, remember Caiaphas? You know, he's the one who recommended that you kill Jesus to save Israel. Now, what in the world did that mean? Well, turn with me back to John 11, where you actually see Caiaphas saying this. John chapter 11, this time verses 47 through 53. Therefore, the chief priests and the Pharisees convened the council and were saying... What are we doing? For this man is performing many signs or miracles. You see, in private, they agreed that he was actually performing miracles. If we let him go on like this, all men will believe in him, and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. But a certain one of them, Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year, said to them, You know nothing at all. Nor do you take into account that it is expedient for you that one man should die for the people and that the whole nation should not perish. Oh, the pragmatic, foxy Caiaphas. He says, you guys aren't thinking straight. Well, you're kind of right. If we let this guy go, we will continue, he will continue to grow in popularity and he will cause trouble for us Jews. The Roman Empire is going to come down on us like a ton of bricks and maybe even end our freedom as a nation. So Jesus has to die. That's the practical way of dealing with him, says Caiaphas. This one man, Jesus, must die if Israel is to be saved from turmoil and chaos. Now look at verse 51. It says, now, he did not this on his own initiative, but being the high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus was going to die for the nation. What does it mean that he didn't speak on his own initiative or he didn't speak for himself? It meant that here is a prophecy from God through reprobate lips. Caiaphas meant one thing by by what he said, but God meant something entirely different by what he said. And God is the one who caused this prophecy concerning the fact that if Israel is to be saved, someone must die in its place. And God forced that true prophecy from the lips of a reprobate 
who would end up in hell. Nevertheless, there you have the statement by Caiaphas, the reprobate, that someone must die in the place of others if those others are to be saved at all. Now, the one thing you're going to see again through all this is that Jesus is still in charge. And we've seen this throughout his suffering. This man is in control, and you never see it more clearly than when you see it in his silence before the court. They're bringing false charges against him, or contrived charges, and Jesus has the opportunity to defend himself. One person comes up and says, we have proof that this man is a revolutionary and a danger because we actually heard this man say, as he was standing in Jerusalem, destroy this temple and I will raise it up in three days. So there, you've got him. This man says he's going to tear down the temple and then in godlike fashion perform a miracle and rebuild the temple in three days when it took many, many years to build. Now, Jesus could explain that. They asked him to explain it, but he said absolutely nothing. And it wasn't because he was mad. It wasn't because he was frustrated. It wasn't because he thought it would be of no use. He was making a point. He remained absolutely silent. Now, you have to admit that that statement was a little hard to understand. It was like a riddle. And there was a figure of speech in ancient Hebrew that was a type of riddle or parable that had as its purpose to use obscure language to make the listener investigate further what the speaker was saying so that then the listener was forced to make a decision with reference to the person speaking. So when Jesus said, I will destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up, that was a riddle that had as its purpose to bring those who were chosen to Christ and keep away the rest. Its purpose was to make those who heard it make a decision, make a choice. Are we going to disregard entirely what this man said and not worry about it? Or are we going to continue to go to him to be instructed as to what he meant? And the interrogators didn't question him about this any further. There was no desire to love him, no desire to know the truth. It was fully a step up, and Jesus remained silent. Jesus was saying, in effect, I'm not going to play your games. I'm not going to relax the tension of the Word of God by explaining the riddle to you. I'm not going to weaken the power of my riddle. The power of my riddle is to sift and separate and make you make a decision in reference to me, either follow me or turn away. I'm not going to say a word. I'm not going to be dictated to by sinful men. My word stands, deal with it as you must. And he stands there silent. Well, that was the silence of sovereignty. That was the sovereign standing there, and he was saying to the judges and everyone involved, I am not playing your games. 
I'm in control, not you, Caiaphas, not you, Annas, not you, Pilate, not you, Herod. Here is the silence of sovereignty saying, I'm in control. He will not lower himself to play the games of sinful men. But it's also the silence of submission. Not the silence of resignation and hopelessness and despair. Well, you know, there's nothing, nothing I can do. I may as well just be silent here. This is the silence of submission to a predestined plan of God. To God's plan for His life. Jesus' silence there in the court was a fulfillment of prophecy. There are a couple of verses I, I want you to see. You don't need to turn there. Let me read them to you. First, Isaiah 53, 7 says this concerning Christ. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to slaughter and like a sheep that is silent before its shears, so he did not open his mouth. And now I want you to hear Isaiah 42, because this is quite a passage, beloved. This explains that Christ's silence was a powerful silence that accomplished God's eternal plan. Isaiah 42, 1 through 4. Behold my servant, and of course he's talking here about Jesus. This is a messianic prophecy that was actually given hundreds of years before Christ was born. Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry out or raise his voice, nor make his voice be heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and a dimly burning wick he will not extinguish. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not be disheartened or crushed until he has established justice in the earth, and the coastlands will wait expectantly for his law. Now, what do you see here? We see in that silence and by that silence, Christ accomplishing eternal salvation. We see by his silence and his death, the Lord Jesus Christ established God's justice, God's kingdom on the earth with all of its power. And as the result of the establishment of his kingdom, the coastlands, that is the far ends of the earth, will turn to him in faith and his kingdom will advance, advance over all other kingdoms. That was quite a silence, wasn't it? Powerful silence. That silence guaranteed our salvation. It was planned by God, prophesied before it took place. And this is Jesus submitting to the prophecy. This is Jesus submitting to the plan. But he doesn't do it in some kind of desperation. Because he knows his submission to the plan means the establishment of God's justice. And the restoration of God's order in the earth that will result in the transformation or Christianization of the entire globe. That was quite a silence. A silence of sovereignty. And a silence of submission. But understand, beloved, Jesus does not remain silent. The Lord Jesus Christ no longer holds his peace. In that silence, he obtained eternal redemption once for all for those for whom he died. And now resurrected and ascended and reigning at God's right hand. 
He speaks His powerful word of salvation in the preaching of the word of God and in the witnessing of that word by the church to the ends of the earth and to the end of time. And there is no stopping Him. Whatever He says now will reach its fulfillment. Nothing shall return to Him void. In silence, He accomplished salvation, established God's kingdom, and now by His powerful word, He is going to conquer all judges and all courtrooms and all enemies throughout all history. Not one of them shall ever stand eternally to resist him. In other words, beloved, he will never, never be on trial again. He does speak here. He does stay. He doesn't stay silent throughout the entire trial. Turn to Mark 14 and look at verses 61 through 63. But he kept silent and made no answer, that is, to the first question. Again, the high priests were questioning him and saying to him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed One? And Jesus said, I am. And you shall see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven and tearing his clothes The high priest said, what further need do we have of witnesses? You have heard the blasphemy. How does it seem to you? And they all condemned him to be deserving of death. Now, I want you to notice what Caiaphas did not ask him. Caiaphas did not ask him, Jesus, are you a Messiah? Are you one of those who claim to be a Messiah? Are you a Messiah figure? You know, there were all kinds of people at that time claiming to be Messiahs. And oh, Caiaphas knew his Bible. He knew there was only one Messiah, one that was promised by God to come to this earth to rescue his people from oppression. Oh, he knew the Bible. He knew that the people of God had longed for that Messiah all the way back to Eve when God told her that her seed would crush the serpent's head. He knew that this Messiah would be a great prophet that he would lead the world out of darkness and show the world the truth. He knew this Messiah would be a great priest that would do whatever was necessary to forgive men of their sins. And he knew that this Messiah would be a great king whose kingdom would triumph over all opposing kingdoms. Oh, he knew. And he asked Jesus, are you that Messiah? Are you the Messiah from God? Are you the one we have been looking for all these generations? That was the bottom line question, wasn't it? I mean, that's getting rid of all the fluff and getting right down to the nitty gritty. That's what it's all about. If he says yes, we've got him for blasphemy and we can execute him because blasphemy is a capital crime. If he says no, then all the people are going to leave him. And either way, we have destroyed him. Jesus, are you the Christ? I can just see the smirk on Caiaphas' face. He thinks he's so smart at this point. I've got you, Jesus. I've got you right where I want you. There is no way out of this. No matter how you answer, you're in serious trouble. But remember who's in control. It's not Caiaphas. It is Jesus. And all Caiaphas did by asking that question, was give Jesus a pulpit to preach the gospel. And notice what Jesus said in verse 62. I am. I am the Christ, the Son of the Blessed One. And you shall see the Son of Man at the right hand of power coming 
with the clouds of angels. So Jesus answers his question by preaching the gospel. But now I want to point out to you what liberals love to say is another one of those contradictions in the Bible. In Mark 14, he records records Jesus in verse 62 as answering the question, Are you the Christ? And Jesus said, I am. Well, now turn to Matthew 26 and let's look at what verses 63 and 64 say. But Jesus kept silent, and the high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God that you will tell us whether you are the Christ, the Son of God. And Jesus said to them, You've said it yourself. Notice yourself is in italics. The translator put it there because he feels the tension here. Jesus is saying, You've said it, Caiaphas. You yourself said it, Caiaphas, not me. Well, this has been Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. As we have closed out our time together today, I would remind you that our desire is to know how this program encourages you in Christ. Now, there are a couple of three ways that you can contact us to provide us with this information. And again, it would really encourage us a great deal if you'd take a moment and let us know how the program is encouraging you in your walk and relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's how to contact us. Phone number is 408. 408- 8665607 that's 4088665607 our website where you can drop us an email and even learn a bit more about us is reformedheritage.org and then of course you can write to us at PMB that stands for post mailbox number 402 1484 Pollard Road Los Gatos California the zip code is 95032 Now, there is another way you can contact us, and this would be the best of all, especially if you're not involved in a church at this time. Plan on visiting. Let us uh, fellowship face-to-face, as it were. We meet at Lone Hill Church, 2 in the afternoon on Sundays at 5055 Lone Hill Road in Los Gatos. Directions can be found at our website, reformedheritage.org, or by calling 408-866-5607. By the way, copies of the broadcast are just $5. Mention today's date when you contact us, and we'll get a CD out to you right away. Thank you for joining us today. Until next time, God bless. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never before seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.